Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, every week, we take a look at real questions from you, the listeners here. Questions that have to do with our work. Well, one of the inevitable components of working is our handling of money. And you know, that raises a whole lot of other questions. Today, we're going to turn the corner a little bit. We're going to do just a little bit of different kind of podcast, that being more of a theme than usual, where we talk about this idea of money, how we get it, how we give it. I wrote a blog recently that had to do with giving. And it elicited a lot of uh, interaction, a lot of response. And I thought, well, I want to just develop that a little bit. I don't often do just a theme in a podcast. Not sure how long this is going to be. Maybe it'll be a little shorter. Just want to go through some principles having to do with our attitude about giving, our ideas about how money works. And then how do we give to equip and not cripple? You know, money's... Money's a funny kind of thing, isn't it? Boy, we see people where money is the, and maybe we've experienced it, where it's a wonderful thing to have, and then it's a horrible thing to have. We've seen it enhance lives. We've seen it destroy lives. Well, a couple weeks ago, well, let me start with a quotation. I like to do that. I've got one here from Robert Louis Stevenson who said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Hmm, Robert Louis Stevenson. Well, we'll kind of approach this with that in mind. So a couple of weeks ago, Joanne and I attended a 30-year celebration. It was a fundraising event for Mercy Ministries located right here in Nashville. Nancy Alcorn, gal who started that, Uh, went to church with Dave Ramsey and me right during that period of time when she was building that. And Dave and I were building our businesses. So we've known each other for a long, long time. Now the program, this banquet, this 30 year celebration took place as the very first event in the stunning ballroom in the new music city center here in Nashville. Now, if you're from here, you know that they've been working my gosh, I guess two or three years on this new Music City Center. It is a spectacular facility. And this is the very first event in the new ballroom. So the surroundings were gorgeous. The flowers were spectacular. Golly, the music was just second to none. CC Winans rocked the house with Mercy Said No, one of her famous songs. Uh, the host for the evening was Dave Ramsey. He was entertaining, thought-provoking. But you know, really the highlight of the evening for me was meeting just lots and lots of people with big hearts and open pocketbooks. Now this is where, you know, we can kind of get our thinking screwed up. It's easy to think, well, you know, rich people are snobbish. They got their noses in the air and they're tight fisted. You know, my experience is that is not true. Now here the attendees represented I have no idea how many countries. I think they told how many countries, but it was a lot of countries, ethnicities, faith perspectives, businesses. But the one thing that connected them was their generosity. Now, these are people who understand that water stops flowing 
If that's the case, it becomes stagnant. Blood that stops moving begins to clot. A person who only inhales will turn blue and pass out. These are people who understand those principles. I talked to the guy who had just purchased, just in a casual conversation, he wondered if I had any unique uses for some land or would know of somebody who wouldn't. I said, well, what do you have? Well, he just purchased 9,000 acres in eastern Tennessee and wondered if I had any ideas about its potential use to benefit others. I mean, he said that in the same way as, you know, somebody would talk about you know, picking up a shirt at Costco. He just bought 9,000 acres. 9,000 acres. You know, the word affluence comes from the root word affluere in Latin, which means to flow to. See, it just appears that generous people have money flowing toward them. Now, we know the principle. It's not new. You can look anywhere you want to in historical literature and see how people who give have money flow to them. Look in the Bible in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. For if you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. Now, it was interesting in that the night before Joanna and I went to this banquet, we stopped in to deliver a car to a lady who lives in government housing with her three children. She's somebody that Joanne has mentored for several years, having gotten out of prison about four or five years ago, I think now. But she warned us to lock our car, although it was broad daylight. We parked right in front of her apartment. She then carefully unlocked the three locks on her door to quickly allow us entrance. She asked if I would take her previous car and sell it from my yard. Now, see, I, I, I brought her another car. It was a van that I took in on trade on a transaction that I made, and I knew it'd make a nicer car for her, and what she had was pretty well toast. I wanna, I'll come back to that in a little bit, incidentally. But took her another car, and I thought well, we'd just transfer the plates. She could get it transferred, and then she could sell her old car from right there. She said, no, no, no. A car sitting there in her parking lot without a plate on it would be stripped to the bones in 24 hours. Well, you see, it seems that many of those who have nothing look for opportunities to take from others. So you have to wonder which comes first, you know, being broke or the attitude of taking from others. I talked about the evening spent with these people who were generous, generous givers, looking for ways that they could give responsibly to other people. And I do want to emphasize the word responsibly because that's, that's kind of the initiation. That's, that's kind of the stimulus for my thoughts today. We've all heard that having more money just makes you more of what you already are. So if you're generous, having more will allow you to be more generous. If you're stingy, Having more money will just make you paranoid about other people trying to get it. Boy, have I seen that played out. I know the son of a very famous country music star who has been dead for some years and his son inherited his money. So his son got his money in that way. He doesn't like to have people come on his property. He's afraid somebody may sprain their ankle on his yard and sue him. He spends his whole life trying to protect the money that he got through inheritance, 
not earning it through inheritance. Well, I'm convinced you must think and act like a wealthy person before you'll ever have the chance to be one. So how does that play out when you're struggling to pay your own rent? Well, I've observed that having a giving heart involves much more than writing big checks. I mean, the law of giving really is pretty simple. And there's a lot of teaching out there about the law of giving in the Bible and other great sources. But if you want more joy, give more joy to others. If you want love, learn to give love. If you want happiness, help others be happy. And yes, if you want material affluence, learn to help others become materially affluent. I mean, Zig Ziglar, remember his famous statement, you can get anything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Well, that's a pretty solid principle. But here's the real key. You know, I talk to people, well, I can't give, you know, I can't put gas in my own car. I don't have anything to give. Well, giving doesn't have to involve material things. It could be a flower, a compliment, a word of encouragement, sitting with someone in grief or sadness, mowing someone's yard, volunteering a morning to serve the hungry and homeless in your community, inviting someone to eat a meal at your table, or just writing a note to share your thankfulness for someone's friendship. See, our potential for wealth is not shown as much in our bank account as it is shown in our attitude, the attitude of our heart. So I think if you give generously, wealth of all kinds will start to move toward you just like that definition of affluence. Well, we tend to hear, though, some pretty strange ideas about how money works. I mean, we have some pretty warped ideas about how money is created. For one person to increase his or her wealth, do a corresponding number of people need to become poorer? Is my increase at the expense of someone else? See, if we really think the world has only a fixed amount of wealth, then it would make sense to constantly rearrange it. So each person has the same amount. And Lord knows we hear a lot about that, don't we? Well, let's just take from the rich and give to the poor. Just the modern day version of Robin Hood. And somehow that's going to make the world a better place? No. It cripples the people who are poor. It de-incentivizes those who are rich. And we all end up toast. Well, I don't need to politicize more than is going to be obvious here. But that's not how wealth is created. It's not just moved around. It's created. Now, think about this for a little bit. If I write a book and then I charge you $20, is that the end of it? I'm $20 richer and you're $20 poor? We just moved that $20 from your account to mine? Well, if we look at money as just a commodity, then perhaps that's true. But what happens when there is a reasonable exchange of money? There's more than just a shifting of dollars. I mean, if you think about it, if you go in and buy a new car, I mean, you don't just give them money. They give you a bucket of bolts and some tin that's held together. I mean, at least that's not the way a car buying experience is for me. My gosh, I drive out, you know, feel like a million bucks, even though I just spent some. But just, man, the feeling of driving a great car, the smell, the feel, the acceleration, Geez, open the sunroof. I mean, there's a whole lot of sensual experiences that go on there aside from having just transferred dollars 
It's an emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual experience. Well, let's go back to buying a book. If you buy a book of mine, am I now $20 richer? You're $20 poor? I mean, if that is the case, and that's it. We just moved money as a commodity. Geez, I ought to hang my head in shame. Go find something else to do, which I certainly would do. But doing business is more than just a transfer of paper from one hand to another. It is an emotional, a psychological, spiritual transaction. Someone has to serve someone else. I mean, if I want to make more money, I simply have to figure out how to serve more money. Now, what happens with that $20 for a book? If it's that I simply now have the $20 used to belong to you, and that's pretty sad. Did I trick you into giving me $20 for a few pages of paper? But what do I really hope happens? I mean, my expectation is that in you reading those pages, it'll change your perspective, give you hope, inspiration, raise your level of belief. Let's say that you refine your resume, you hold your head high because you have a new sense of your value and know what your strongest areas of competence are. You go out here and get a job making $70,000, $20,000 more than you ever made in your life. Now you go and buy a new car, new furniture, you go out to eat, take a vacation, all along the way giving more money to people than what they had before. Now did you trick your boss into giving you that money? Did you make him poorer? Of course not. You're going to help him serve more people and in doing so make more money than he's ever made before. I mean, your efforts are going to make him three to four times what he's paying you. So if he's paying you $70,000, you ought to help him make another two hundred, $250,000. I mean, that's the kind of formula that we look at in business. If somebody hires you, your efforts there ought to make three to four times what they're paying, three to five times what they're paying you. Wow, with that extra money, he starts another business, hires 30 more people, giving them jobs and great pay. No one's having money taken away from them. Money is being created at every step of the way. And when you start looking for ways to give, it'll show up in a variety of ways. Let me just tell you a couple examples. I was teaching a Sunday school class years ago. As many of you know, that really was the genesis of what is now 48 Days to the Work You Love. The material was developed in that Sunday school class. But I had a gentleman from Florida. Didn't know him, but he called me from Florida. Said he'd recently been in Nashville on business. Went to the church. Well, he didn't go he didn't go to the church. What he somehow went there during the week just to visit apparently saw the Sunday school curriculum being offered, saw the class I was teaching on career life transitions and said he'd like to do something similar at his church in Lakeland, Florida. I said, hey, that's cool. What can I do to help you? He says, well, I'm really curious, you know, the kind of material you're using. Do you use a book? Or I said, no, I don't have anything. I said, I couldn't find anything. So I'm just developing material. But I said, I'll be happy to show you everything I've got in terms of notes, handouts, he says, would you really? I said, sure. He says, well, I'm going to be in Nashville in about two weeks. Could I get together with you? I said, sure. Come on by. He did. Got together. With, I gave him everything that I had, everything that I was using for that class. Now, did I, was I thinking, gee, he needs to pay me 
for this? No. It was just something I had developed that had helped people. If he could use it and pass it on to help other people, I'm thrilled. We developed a friendship. Within a few days, he did come back and wrote me a check for my personal life coaching. He was going through a transition. It turns out he had just sold a business for $18 million. He was pretty lost. Not sure what he was going to do. Wanted my help. He paid me as a coach. Not only did he pay me as a coach, the connection with him, my friendship as it developed over now, perhaps the last 10 years, has probably directly generated two to $300,000 for me. Other referrals from him, seminars and workshops that I've done at his church, workshops where they've purchased materials for me and have done them, referrals to other churches that have picked up the 48 Days program. Yeah, I'm probably conservative in the two to $300,000. Did I do that with a conniving mind initially, thinking how can I trick this guy to gain his confidence and then he's got deep pockets and I'm going to get some? No, not at all. But in doing so, in giving with no expectation of return, it showed up. Money started flowing toward me, just like we discussed. You know, I, there's so many examples of things we can do. I mean, how you interact with a little gal behind the, the, the counter at Wendy's when you get your lunch tells that person instantly if you're a giving person or not. Are you a taker? Or are you a giver? I had a gentleman who did a lot of stone work on our house. I had had him as part of a crew that did some framing work for me. And I saw the quality of his work. I saw his attitude. He spoke not a word of English, but he knew that I had some ongoing work that needed to be done. So he came back by himself and said that he would do the rock work. I wanted some exterior rock. No, I just wanted a little bit, just like a chair rail around a new porch area, a little patio put in. But he knew that he could do it. I trusted him for that. And having seen a little bit of his work, I was confident that he could do that. So he wrote on a napkin that he would work for me for $12 an hour. I crossed it out, said, no bueno. I crossed it out, said, no. Now, what do you think he expected? If I, if he offered to work for me for $12 and I crossed it out, what am I going to show him? $8 an hour, nine, 10. No, I crossed it out and wrote $15. Well, he was a little taken back. I'm sure that was the first time in his life he encountered that where somebody argued with him about his hourly pay, but I knew the quality of his work. We ended up having him live here at the sanctuary for four months. Now, I thought the work that he would do would take a week or so. But when I saw the kind of work that he did, I kept adding things more and more and more. And if you've been to our property, you've seen that I got kind of carried away with the rock work that he did. Beautiful, beautiful areas around the exterior of our house. And then at the end of the sidewalk, the pillars that are there that have lights on them that come on at night, but had that done by Reuben. But I I wanted to pay him more than what he was asking for. I wanted his very best. And we did, in fact, get that. Well, when I wrote this piece, I had a lot of comments. I had somebody comment who, where I was talking about giving 
with an open hand like this. She said, I want so bad for this to be true. I feel like all I do is give and people are oh so ready to take to the point now where it seems the giving is causing real problems for me. But regardless, I continue to give because I want it to be true and I want to give, yet I can't help but wonder if it is idealistic and not reality. The gap between those two leads to massive frustration. Well, I wrote her back and I said, keep believing. But yes, there has to be a balance. I mean, I do ministry coaching, but I don't do that 40 hours a week. I may do that three or four hours a week. And then I get paid well for the rest of my time. I mean, give where you can afford to give. That's why most of the things I mentioned at this point already don't even involve money. But give from a full cup. Don't apologize for having your own cup full. Somehow we've gotten this distorted thinking, distorted theology that it's more godly to have our own cup empty. Well, what can you do when you have an empty cup to help another person who has an empty cup? Not much. Yeah, you can befriend them, you can talk to them, you can encourage them, but you can't write a check if you have an empty cup. One of the things that is described in the book Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin is the service that they have at the end of the Sabbath. So Saturday night, the family gets together and as part of that meal together, they have a goblet on top of a saucer. They take a wine bottle, pour it into the goblet, continue pouring until it overflows, runs down the sides on the goblet. That's symbolic for what that family is challenged and obliged and has a responsibility and opportunity to do in the coming week. And that is fill their own cup, but do their work with such excellence that there's an overflow that is available for others, an overflow that provides bounty for others, but it's from a full cup, not an empty cup. I love that kind of image doing that. Well, another reader Adam Rico says, Dan, it's been my experience to know right away when I meet somebody, if they have a giving heart, you can just tell because they're looking for ways to help or add value to others without expecting anything in return. I just want to be around those people as much as possible. They tend to attract people, money, and positive things to themselves. Yet if you ask them, they would say they just enjoy the process of giving what they can offer. And he says, thanks to the 48days.net community. There's an entire online community of this kind of people. Well, remember the uh, the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Joanna and I have just a few favorite movies. That's one of them. But, uh, you know, he talks about if I were a rich man, the kind of things that he could do. Another one, of course, is popular was by Bare Naked Ladies. Remember that song, If I Had a Million Dollars? God, I think I got it queued up here. I'll be pull that up. We'll listen to one second. If I yeah. Had a million dollars, hey, he talks about all the funny things he would do. Certainly, it's a common theme. If I had a million dollars. And we see it at its worst with people playing the lottery, hoping that luck or somehow just good fortune is going to bring them money. Well, uh, can it happen? Yeah. Is it likely? No. And a lot of people have wasted hard-earned dollars hoping to somehow be lucky with a lot. Of, that's not how money comes to us. Not at all. Well, how do we give? 
how do we give to equip people and not cripple? And again, the, the masses you know, just believe that wealth comes through luck, inheritance, social advantage. And thus, it is right to believe that the rich should disperse their money to those who have less, if that's how it comes. Well, wealthy people know that giving people unearned rewards robs those very people of the satisfaction they'll experience from their own achievements. And we've tried to do this even in our own family. This is not just lip service, you know, where we spoil our kids and then try to give responsibly. No, Kevin, my oldest son, when Kevin was 10 years old, BMX bicycle racing, bicycle motocross was just exploding in popularity. Well, the next door neighbor got a brand new red line bicycle. They were $400. Now I was used to buying bicycles for 25 and 30 bucks, but these were racing bicycles, red line, mongoose, the fancy names they had back then. Kevin wanted to be involved in BMX racing. I said, fantastic. I think this is really cool. He says, yep. All I need is that red line bicycle and I can be a champion. I said, that's great news. What are you going to do to get that red line bicycle? He's like, well, what do you mean, dad? And we're going to go down. You're going to write a check. And I said, no, that's not the way it works. If you want that, that's fine. I'll help you. But what are you going to do to get the money to pay for that red line bicycle? Now, keep in mind, he was 10 years old, but I love these opportunities to teach principles. I said, I'll help you. So at the time I had an auto accessories business. So I had contact with a lot of the new car dealers when I'm taking in an old motorcycle on trade. So I bought the motorcycle. I think I paid like 300 bucks for it or something. Took it home. And I said, Kevin, here's our project. If we fix this up, make it really nice. We can sell it and get some of that money that you're needing for your red line bicycle. Well, that's not very exciting to a 10 year old kid, but he said he thought if that's the only option he had, okay. We worked in that motorcycle for a month and a half. Now that's not a real long time, but for a 10 year old, it's a significant period of time. We sanded and scraped and we took parts apart and we took them to get re-chromed. We put things back together again, polished the seat up, put little pinstriping on there set it out in the front yard, sold it the very first day and made in profit. I recaptured my money. I took my money that I had invested every penny back out and we had $420 left over. I said, great job, Kevin. You've got $420. What do you want to do with that? Man, I want to go buy that red line bicycle. We did. Now, how do you think he took care of that bicycle? compared to the neighbor kid whose dad just went down and wrote a check. When a neighbor kid's bike would be laying out in the front yard overnight, you know, in the rain or whatever, no big deal. Easy come, easy go. Not Kevin. He had his bicycle in his bedroom, not in the garage, in his bedroom. It was spotless. He'd invested time and energy to get that. Did I provide a method for him? Sure. But he had to invest some elbow grease, got that, and he prided himself in having it and took care of it. You know, there's a Jewish legal code that ranks various acts of charitable giving. You know what the highest 
ranking way to give is? I mean, you might think, well, if I could write a check for a million dollars or leave 30 million or be like Martha Ingram here and give, I think she gave $30 million to open the new symphony center. You might think, well, that's the highest. No, you know what the legal, the Jewish legal code says is the highest ranking of charitable giving. That is to put the recipient in business for himself, thus making him independent of charity. That's the highest ranking of giving. Now, one of the programs that I am involved in that I encourage you to check out is called Kiva, K-I-V-A. This is, you just go online, Kiva. It's probably Kiva.org. This is a program where they help people get started in business. I love going through and looking at the businesses these people are starting. So here's an example. I just got a report just today that I received in just the last couple of days. I received $5.46 in repayments All right, from people to whom I loaned money. Now, one of those is a guy who happens to be in Iraq. He has a little body shop. I loaned $25 through Kiva. He just repaid $2.08. Now, here's another guy who has both vehicle repairs. Now, being a car guy, you know, there are people with all kinds of businesses that are promoted on Kiva, but I tend to be drawn to the ones that have businesses that I'm interested in, that I think are neat. So the guy with the body shop, here's a guy that does repairs. He did some more tools. I apparently had loaned him as well, $25. He just repaid $2.08. He's repaid so far $8.33 of the $25 that I loaned him. Now, this is all done through a mechanized system. I'm not personally uh, connected and watching this, but these guys are responsible to repay the loan. Here's another guy, Sergio in Honduras, who is doing motorcycle repair. I loaned him $25. He just repaid $1.30. He has now repaid $3.79 or 15.16% of the loan that I gave him. I mean, I love those things. I mean, I, the way that works is that I put in, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks a couple years ago. And I, it's, I just reinvest it. So the money is repaid always as people are learning new business skills, being more independent. So it's not a matter of just giving to them. It's a matter of helping them become independent. You know, through the eyes of love, we as Americans have tried to help people around the world by giving to them. When are we going to learn that this is the surest and quickest way to psychologically and spiritually paralyze those same people into thinking they can't take care of themselves and have no hope of ever accomplishing that. Now, I have a son, as many of you know, who lives in Nairobi, Kenya. So he lives in Africa. He cringes when we talk about American aid. There are more people in poverty today in Africa than there were 20 years ago after the billions and billions of dollars that have been given by America to help those poor people. Those poor people now recognize they can't do anything for themselves, so they wait on more aid to come from America. We haven't helped them. We've castrated them, making them incapable of providing for themselves. Now, now think about how this works. 
and boy, this, this gets complicated. I recognize that. We see all these poignant pleas on TV, you know, please give shoes and clothing and food so we can help these poor people. Well, what happens when you go into a little town in Africa? We drive in, we wheel in there in a truck, and it's got all this clothing on it. You don't have to pay anything. You just help yourself. It's free. We've got shoes. We've got food. What did we just do to the local merchants in that little town? The guy who's eking out a living, buying and selling clothing. The guy who has a little shoe shop. The guy who has a little convenience store. He's just getting started. Here these aid trucks roll in. It totally pulls the rug out from under. It destroys the local economy. What could we do? We need to be helping more people there become entrepreneurs, becoming business people. We need to equip them to create money, not just be on the receiving end of aid. Well, we could go on and on about that. I mean, I mean, governments, unfortunately, use this as a way of controlling people. I mean, it's pretty easy to see. I mean, if you have, golly, if you have ducks in a fence and you're their only source of food, you can get them to do pretty much anything you want them to do. Unfortunately, governments do the same thing. That psychological castration that occurs when people are convinced they're incapable of managing their own lives. I mean, that's more than sad. It ought to be criminal. But again, we get into all kinds of political commentary at that point, and I'll draw the line there. But when when people allow fear to rule their lives, they're blind to the fact that they're being turned into robots. Now, I've got another experiment going on right now, and I'm going to wrap up with this. We're going to be, this is going to be a, a shorter version this week. I just wanted to touch on this one issue. I don't have all the answers. I'm always trying to figure this out. But I do observe a lot of things, and I observe how giving irresponsible cripples people. I observe how people can have giving hearts, whether they are rich or poor. It doesn't really matter. They still either do or do not have giving hearts. Here's my, here's my experiment. I mentioned that Joanne and I stopped by and gave a car to a young lady. Unfortunately, that was not the first. That, in fact, is the fourth car that I've given to her since she got out of prison. Now, my goal, just listen to the fallacy in what I did. I thought we were, I mean, Joanne just begged me to do that. And being a car guy, I said, sure, no problem. So I gave her a car, nice car. The first one, I think the first one was a Volvo. It took her about four months to totally destroy it. See, my goal was to save her from having to save up enough money to buy a car or from having to get locked into making monthly payments, but it didn't work. It absolutely didn't work. Instead of that helping her create a little reserve on her own, where then she was able to get ahead and buy her own car. No, the next time she needed a car, guess who she came to back to Dan. 
She just showed up time and time and time again. Worn out tires, overdue oil changes, engine lights on, air conditioning not working, dented fenders, broken windows, stained seats. It was a gift. There must be more where that came from. And believe me, she was confident there was. And she proved to be right in that, didn't she? She came back. I gave her a little Mercury Mystique. And then I gave her, golly, I've lost track of what kind. Oh, I gave her a Chrysler New Yorker. It had 119,000 miles on it. was purchased brand new by an elderly couple. She died. The husband sold me the car. I gave it to this young lady. It was absolutely showroom fresh. I mean, it was perfect in every way. Give it to her. Man, within 90 days, flat tires, fenders broken, windshield cracked. Here's my new plan. <laughs> Trust me, I'm learning as we go. Here's my new plan. I gave her yet one more car. A little car she had. You know, there was actually another one in, in the interim there. Air conditioning not working. She's complaining about driving to work. Got a new job a little farther away from home. It's a good job. I want her to keep it. Air conditioning doesn't work. Leaks oil like crazy. That's okay. So I put her in, in another car. But here's my plan. I'll have to keep you posted to see if this plan works. My plan is, I'll give you the car. Here's the title. We'll get it transferred, put in your name. It's yours. I'm going to take the little piece of crap that you had. Yes, I'll take it and sell it. That money does not just come back to you to buy a new pocketbook at the mall. That money goes into an account that is your car account. In addition, I gave her 12 envelopes addressed to me, stamped and addressed to me, and dated for each month, where she is to, to send me $250. She told me she could easily afford a $400 monthly payment with her new job. I know that's garbage, but I want to teach her the discipline and reality. So I said, you send me $250 every month. You have to send that to me. If you miss it, I have the right to come pick up your car. This is like making a car payment. Now, obviously, the money is not going back into my account. It's going into an account for her. But now I've got, I have yet to receive the first payment. We're almost at the end of the month, so uh, the, the jury is out on this. But the money that I received from the sale of her car, which she had lost the title, so she's applied for a new title. I don't have the title yet, so I can't sell it. But when I do, I expect I'll get a little bit of money. Craigslist, you can sell anything. So I'll get it and I'll put that into her account. And that then is her car fund. So if she needs new tires, fantastic. The If the money's there, she uses it. If she needs to get a tune-up or an oil change, the money comes out of there. Now here's the deal. If she takes care of the car that I just gave her and doesn't tap into this fund, at the end of a year, we'll have $3,000. Wow. I can step her up to a nicer car if she wants to at that point. If she goes two years, that's $6,000.
So we'll see how this program works. If she takes care of the car, she'll have an accumulating amount. Now, if she doesn't send me any money, this is it. If she doesn't send me the $250 a month and she calls and says, gee, Dan, I need new tires. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, there's no money in your account. I guess you're going to have to run on the rims. I mean, I tried the other way. I tried just giving with no contingencies. It didn't work. And it's a, a very much at-home lesson for the same kind of thing we've done internationally as a country for years and years and years. Instead of equipping the people to position themselves better, no, we just teach them to just expect the giving. Well, anyway, I, I hope I haven't sounded too harsh on my little deal here, but uh, it's very difficult for Joanne not to give to these gals that she helps out. And so we have given a lot, but I'm not sure we've helped them in a really responsible way with our generosity. So we're looking at new ways just on a one by one basis to figure out how to do this better. Well, you know, a person's real value is spiritual, not physical. And Henry Ford was known for complaining that he had to hire an entire person when all he needed was a pair of hands. And thus we saw the automobile industry get sloppier and sloppier as it resorted more and more on just hands, be those robotic or computerized. I mean, no true entrepreneur would be willing to pay for nothing more than a pair of hands. I mean, great work requires a commitment of body, spirit, and mind. Giving, generating money requires the same total commitment from us. This is not just pieces of paper being handed around, exchanging hands. The generation of money is a phenomenal thing to watch, and it is generated from nothing. I mean, I, I, want, I want to deal with that perhaps in a couple of weeks. How money is generated? It's not just a fixed amount of quantity where it's a piece of pie, so if I take a piece, there's less for you. It doesn't work like that. Money generates itself it rebuilds it's it's like when i when i talked about you know selling a book we aren't just dealing with twenty dollars all of a sudden that money led to more and more and more and more all the way down the road that's the way money works i hope you enjoy the process of generating money giving generously but responsibly i think that's another part of stewardship but as you have more you'll have more opportunities to do that if you're in a position where you need to receive, you can do that in a mature way with integrity. I think it requires a great deal of maturity to receive responsibly. I mean, there have been times when I've been on the receiving end. That's harder, a whole lot harder to deal with, I, th I think, than being in the wonderful position of being able to give, but I've been on both ends. So it's helped me kind of experience how to handle both ends with maturity. Well, Hey, I'm not going to belabor this. I appreciate your input. Uh, feel free to submit questions and responses to the podcast here. As always, just go to the 48 days.com site, click on the podcast link. You can ask a question there, leave a comment on this particular episode where we deal with making and giving responsibly there you go we've been taking care of business as always what a wonderful opportunity to take care of business to be able to generate money 
to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable. Hey, I hope you're having a great summer doing exactly that.